this story is about a walk to a place called Emmaus. It's about seeing Christ. It's about knowing Christ's presence and His nearness. Luke chapter 24, beginning in the 13th verse. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word, indeed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. May God bless to our understanding the reading from this, his holy word. Amen. You know, do we sometimes walk along our path? We live in our life. Go in the ways that we go, and we don't recognize the nearness and the closeness of Jesus to us. I wonder sometimes if uh, we ever look back on a confusing or a difficult event in our life, a time when we just felt we were so separated from God, and we realize later what we could not see then, that Jesus had been there all the time. 
I think Jesus is much closer and nearer to us than we often realize, than we realize most of the time. This event that we just read takes place in the late afternoon of that first Resurrection Sunday, that first Easter morning. And Jesus is risen from the dead, and everyone is wondering what is going on, given all that has happened and they've heard on that strange, confused morning. And as two of Jesus' followers are now walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus, now remember Jesus had more than just 12 disciples, more than just the inner circle of the 12. He had many disciples, many people who followed him, at least 70 and probably more. Two of them uh, are walking along and Jesus comes near them. And he begins to walk alongside them. But it says they could not recognize him. That's not their fault. It says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. God, in his will, for whatever reason, has kept their eyes from seeing that this is Jesus walking with them. Jesus comes alongside him and he asks him, what are you talking about? And they're like, have you not read the headlines? All that's been going on, and they, they begin to talk about Jesus. And, and all that's happened in this crazy week, his entering into Jerusalem as a king, but then his betrayal and his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. And now the tomb is empty and nobody knows where the body is. But Jesus asks them, anyway, what's been going on in Jerusalem? Tell me about it. Now, this is Jesus. He knows. Well, only one of these disciples is named, Cleopas, and the other is not named. We don't know why. One suggestion, this is just a little sidebar, not important to the sermon, but one suggestion is that perhaps this was a married couple uh, because they live together. They invite Jesus into their home, but we're not told. Um, but they speak to Jesus as they're walking of their hope that Jesus was the one to bring redemption to Israel and to bring the kingdom of God. And they go through the whole saga of Jesus. We were hoping that he was the one. And you can hear the disappointment in their voices. They had set their hopes that Jesus would bring God's kingdom, that he was the Messiah, but apparently he wasn't because they killed him. And he's dead just like any other person we've seen who's come and made promises to us and done great things. He's dead too. So it's time to leave Jerusalem. It's time to walk away. Time to give up on the gatherings for prayer. Time to give up that fellowship with the other believers because obviously it was just one great disappointment. You know, change the details in this story. And it is the story of every one of us. If only this had happened. If only it had been like this. Have you ever been disappointed? You know, Jesus can take that disappointment and he can make it into something of his glory and of his power. That is the whole story in a nutshell of the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. This week I was at the West Coast Presbyterian Pastors Conference, which is an annual conference of uh, pastors in the Presbyterian Church, mostly from the West Coast, but from a few other Western places as well. It takes place every year. Uh, 
pastors who are evangelicals in our uh, tradition. Uh, at the, it was held uh, at the beautiful Christian Conference Center, Mount Hermon in California. If you've ever been there, you know how beautiful it is. And it is a place where people have been meeting God for almost, I guess, a century now. But uh, the uh, Bible teacher there this week, uh, and it's so nice to be taught to instead of teaching, but it was so nice to just receive. The Bible teacher was Jim Edwards, who is becoming one of my favorite Bible teachers over the past five, ten years as I've read his uh, study books and commentaries. Uh, He taught from the Gospel of Luke. And when he came to Thursday, his final teaching, he said, okay, now I'm going to teach my final lesson. It's going to be on Luke chapter 24. That was like music to my ears. I was preaching on Luke 24 this Sunday. Cut my work in half. I said, oh, how fortunate am I? I took, I took lots of notes, believe me. Jim Edwards, and he was right, he said, there are two ironies in this story. And the first irony is this. That these live disciples are talking about a dead Jesus. But in reality... Alive Jesus is talking to dead disciples. Because the irony is that what they hoped for had happened, indeed happened. They just couldn't see it. Their eyes don't see Jesus. They don't see the good news of their redemption and now how everything is different in this world and how all the pieces really do fit together. Just because they don't see it doesn't mean it hasn't happened or that it's not a reality, or that Jesus' presence isn't there. You know, sometimes we think we understand and see the whole picture, don't we? Uh, There are things as a pastor that confuse me, that frustrate me. There are experiences um, that make me wonder, and I don't see how a painful experience can serve the purposes of God. But there are lessons of faith and of the heart that the Lord needs to show me, how slow of heart I can be to see what's really going on. Jesus begins to reveal himself to them by going to the Scriptures. He begins to talk about the things in God's Word. Uh, As they're walking, he gives them a Bible lesson about how certain things were supposed to happen, and it says so in the Scriptures and how everything that happened in Jerusalem fits together in the Scriptures. Now, there are two sure ways that Jesus reveals himself to us. There are two sure ways we can find Jesus. And one is in God's Word. Um, The disciples later will say, boy, our hearts were burning within us as he was talking to us about the Scriptures and, and what was going on. It says in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. One of the certain ways we find the Lord is through his written word. When we read the Bible, whether we do it on our own, whether we do it with others, whether we hear it on Sunday morning and we read it together here, we understand more of Jesus. We become sensitized to him. By that I mean It's kind of like our antennas go up. We learn the patterns of God. We learn the language of God and how He speaks and how He works and how He acts. Scripture gives us God's truth. It gives us guidance in our faith. But the more we understand of the Lord, I think the more we hear His presence in our lives. And there is always a direct correlation between the maturity and the strength of a Christian and their interaction 
with God's word. There is not a Christian who walks closely with God that I know that doesn't have a regular diet of the written word in some way, fashion, or form. God opens our minds, I think, sometimes to certain verses and words. You know, at the time we can read something, it can seem so irrelevant. Just kind of like, went right by me. And then later, it's like God clues us into it. And we see, and, and it just becomes real. It's not so much that we read Scripture sometimes, it's that Scripture reads us. And I'm reading something, and it says, oh my gosh, that's me. The other way to recognize Jesus is in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Sacrament, that's a big word. A sacrament means something that is physical that points to something that is invisible. Something you can see, taste, touch, feel that points to invisible realities. The bread, the juice that we can taste and hold and see speaks to us of the invisible realities of God's love, God's forgiveness, God's redemption. Well, since the day is almost over, those two disciples invite Jesus into their home. Say, you know, it's getting dark. Why don't you stay with us? You've got nowhere to go. Now, here's the second irony of the story. Um, you know, if, if you invite me into your home as a guest, I don't come in and just kind of start going through your cupboards and getting the food and putting it out. And I don't give the food to you. I sit at your table, and, and as a guest, you're the host, and, 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 and you serve me because you're kind of in command, in charge, if you would. Well, here's the second irony. Though the disciples invited Jesus to be their guest, he begins to act as the host. Because it says Jesus takes the bread at that table, breaks it, blesses it, and gives it to them. And it says, the minute he did that, their eyes were open. They said, oh my gosh, that's Jesus sitting with us. And then he disappears. Finally, it all comes together to them. And the disciples go back to Jerusalem. Immediately, they make the long journey back. They find the 11, the inner circle of the 11, locked away in a room. And they share the experience of walking along that road with Jesus and how he became known to them in the breaking of the bread. Jesus had been with them the entire time, walking with them, speaking with them. It wasn't until he broke the bread, when he blessed it, when he gave it to them, that their eyes were opened, it says, and he, he was recognized by them. There was something about the bread that helped them recognize Jesus. You know, bread is a symbol throughout the scriptures, and particularly of Christ himself. In the Old Testament, we read that bread, uh, 12 loaves of bread, were to be kept on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, round the clock, 24 hours a day, and those loaves were called the 12 loaves of the presence, the presence of God. Jesus would often speak of bread and refer to himself. On the night of his betrayal, when he's in that upper room with the disciples, he takes bread, he blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them and said, this is my body, this is my body, this is me, broken for you. When he feeds the thousands, we hear Jesus did exactly that. He takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to people. And we read that story is about the meaning, that event is about the meaning of Jesus and who he is in his presence. 
Jesus called himself the bread of life. Another time he said, I'm the bread who came down from heaven. We read that the earliest Christians devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And I wonder if they did that as a result of this, what, what these two disciples went through and what they told them. Because when you break bread, things happen with Jesus. Paul, we read an experience of the Apostle Paul in his life. He's on a ship. There's a storm. People are scared. And to bring physical and emotional stability to that whole crew, it says he takes bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. And they were spared. And God brought them through. There is something about the breaking of bread. There's something about blessing it and sharing in it and the giving of it. In Jesus' name, that has a spiritual power and that connects us to the risen Lord. And at the Lord's table, Christians just keep doing that same thing. Same thing, that fourfold action. Take, bless, break, and give. You'll notice any pastor who who leads us at the Lord's table, I do it, anybody else, he or she always speaks of those words and reminds us, Jesus did it on that night. This is what he did. And Jesus told us to do it continually in remembrance of him. And he says very little about why. You notice Jesus says very little. He just says you do it. And Christians have been doing this ever since that time. In communion, I think God does something significant. Do we underestimate Jesus' presence and what he's doing when we break this bread and we share this cup together? Are we kept from recognizing him maybe because of our own self-preoccupation or we're worried about the people around us or our mind is just wondering? In some mystical, spiritual, I tell you, amazing way, Jesus is present and he's here with us. And we become connected to the risen Lord. I wish I could tell you how it happens because I think it's up to God and his power and his Holy Spirit. We may not understand it all, but it helps us keep our faith and our hearts going. And we need rituals. We need customs to keep our hearts going. Think of an anniversary. I'm just going to use a wedding anniversary. It could be anything. It could be birthday, whatever. But think of an anniversary. And uh, sometimes husbands and wives go out to dinner on their, to celebrate their anniversary, to mark the date. And, you know, some years it's not that big a deal. It's, it's number 17, it's number 4, it's number 43, and there's no special significance. And maybe they're even tired. Maybe it's just been a long week or two. And, uh, you know, they could just as easily stay home. But they say, no, nope, we're going to go out to dinner. Let's celebrate our anniversary. And, and they do it. It's a formality of sorts, but they, they enjoy it. Might, might even be simple. Now, some would say, you know, why bother anymore? My gosh, 43 years, 52 years. But, you know, you stop, you, you stop recognizing that covenant made in love in some way. Stop recognizing it and see what happens. How easily that covenant dwindles and the meaning of marriage can fade. Even as a formality, that anniversary dinner fortifies the fact, you know what? We are married, and this is important, and you are important to me, and I'm important to you. Stop breaking the bread. Stop drinking the cup. Stop coming to the house of the Lord and sharing in communion and see what happens to your faith. Stop marking the death and resurrection of Christ in your life and see what happens. 
If nothing else, this bread broken for me reminds me and confronts me with Jesus' death and the cross. But not only that, it also reminds us of his resurrection. It tells us he is alive and I can know him and I can know his presence in my life. Now those disciples said their hearts were burning within them when Jesus was talking to them. Burning. Sometimes we refer to the Bible as the bread of Christ. It's, it's, it's our nourishment. And you know, we could all use a good dose of holy heartburn once in a while, don't you think? Times when we just know Jesus is there. He is around. He is ministering. It may be confusing at the time, but sometimes we can look back. It might be when we're in church. It might be when we're praying. It might be when we're sharing communion. It might be at a quiet time at home or when we're driving. And then we realize, we look back on that situation. We say, that was the Lord. Why did I feel the way I did? There was just something going on. That was the Lord. I just didn't see it at the time. Maybe your heart is burning. And you sense something going on in you right now that you've never sensed before or you haven't sensed in a long time. Maybe there's a, a, an awakening of your faith. Maybe there's a, a desire of God that you've never known before. Your heart's burning. Maybe you come to this table just to remember one more time who it is you believe and what it is you believe. And you're just once again renewing that covenant that you made with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus will meet us here. He will meet you here because he says, I am in this. And those disciples on the road to Emmaus had no idea how near Jesus was to them, how the risen Lord was with them. What road are you walking right now? What's your road like? Is it a rough road? Is it a busy road? Maybe the road you're walking is a lonely road. Or maybe the road you're walking is an uphill road. Maybe it's a crooked road. Maybe it's a straight and smooth road. Nothing wrong with that. Be thankful. Or what's the last week, two weeks, three weeks been? What have you been through? I want you to know as we go through it all, as we walk that road, Jesus is with us. He's near. He's walking right alongside. He's been walking right alongside you. Which is one of the reasons we keep doing this table, to keep that flame alive in your hearts. And this morning when you come up at communion to break off the bread and and dip it in the cup and then eat it, when you break off that bread, would you make this your prayer? Just pray to yourselves, Jesus, open my eyes. Open my eyes to you. Don't underestimate what the Lord Jesus Christ can do or where he is. He is alive. He is near. He may show up in places and in circumstances that you never imagined he would show up before. He can and he will make his presence known. Even now, even now, he is closer us than we even
Amen.